Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, episode 16. Coming up, what would you do with a couple of interns? My guest today is Liz Hubert, a UX consultant who shares her thoughts on information architecture and talks about bringing on two interns into her one-woman operation last year. But first, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, and that means I want to apologize. If you follow the blog, the RSS feed, you'll notice that there's a lack of posts recently, just this podcast going up. And I apologize for that. I'm going to get back into it soon, but things have been absolutely nuts here. And I want to kind of go over what I've been up to. So first of all, I've got an update for Workburst, which is my productivity Mac app coming out. I'm really excited. Some really good stuff in here. It's not going to raise your brightness to 100% automatically. That's been a big request. And also the most requested feature, which is the ability to disable the bell noise is coming up in this next version. Not only that, my two iPhone apps, which are Reader Tracker and Watcher Tracker, which track the books that you read and the movies that you watch, are both getting updates. And this is so long overdue. It's going to look good for iOS 7, finally. It's also going to have iCloud backup, so you don't need to worry about losing your data, and you can sync between devices, and also the ability to export your list. So if you want to start using something else later, that's going to be no issue. You're not trapped, and so I'm really excited to get that out there. Actually, right now, the app is free, but when the update comes, I'm going to bring it back to $0.99. Cents. So if you download it now, you'll get the free update, and you won't have to worry about paying. Um, I've also got even more big news. That's not even the big news. This is the big news. I am working on the online course for getting your idea and turning it into an app. It is based on my popular New York City workshop, and the online course is coming soon. It could be available as soon as May. And I know a lot of you right now are probably freaking out because this online course is the most common request that I get. I get emails about this every week from people wanting it, and I don't have it yet, and I will, and I'm so excited. It's turning out really, really great. I'm really proud of it. It walks you through the entire app building process from having an idea and then it goes into prototyping and hiring a developer and getting the press and planning that big launch. And there's also a ton of bonus content in there that I plan on slowly teasing you with as we get closer to the launch. So pay attention. There's just so much information in here. This is exactly what I wish I had when I built my app and it would have saved me so much time. I could have done it in maybe like weeks or months instead of spending over two two years just banging my head against my computer. Um, Okay, so finally, I also want to give a shout out to my developer. Uh, He is the guy that's behind the upcoming app updates, Workburst, Reader Tracker, Watcher Tracker. And I want to talk about him because he is amazing and because I totally recommend him. And he is also the unofficial sponsor of this podcast. He has a development company. It's called Planet 1107. And they can help you make your app as well as helping me make mine. And you don't even need wireframes. If you just have an idea, they will help you help walk you through the entire process. And the best part is it's only $40 an hour, which is incredibly cheap. If you've done any of your research at all, you'll know that that's insane. And not only is it that cheap, he's also offering all of my listeners and all of my readers an additional 10% off. So if you mention Novice No Longer NNL, he'll give you that discount, or you can go to planet1107.net slash NNL, fill out the form there, get a quote, and it'll automatically be tied back to me. Okay, so without further ado, that's all the housekeeping we need. We're going to jump into the conversation with Liz Hubert. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Hey, this is Dan, and you are listening to the Novice No Longer podcast. My guest today is Liz Hubert, a user experience consultant and the person behind Hubert Experience Design. She is an absolutely fascinating person, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Liz, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, of course. So tell me a little bit about your story and how you got to be where you are right now. Um, It was a bit of a windy road. I just got a free association to um, when you're playing the board game Candyland and it's like winding through. (laughs) I feel Uh like that's how I got to where I am today. Um, So I started my career as a Java programmer, which is, um, you know, back-end technology, heavy programming in the insurance industry. Very, very chic sounding, I know. Um, And so I was a Java programmer. I moved to San Antonio, Texas on a whim from Connecticut and uh, I needed a job, and uh, it was very hard to find a Java programming job in San Antonio, Texas. So I went in to interview for a job that was more visual design, graphic design, which I had no skill in, but I needed a job. How long ago was this? (laughs) This was probably, this is a good question. It was probably um, summer of 2005. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I went in the interview. About two minutes into the interview, the guy interviewing me said, "Um, you can't do this job. Can you? And I was like, no, I cannot do this job, sir. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's not what you want to hear during an interview. <laughs> right? And so then he said, um, well, have you heard of this thing called information architecture? And I said, no, I've never heard of this thing that you call information architecture. And he's like, oh, I think you'd be really good at it. And they hired me as an information architect, which eventually led to be called something uh, called UX design, user experience design. Um, and then shortly after probably about three or four years after that, I moved to New York City, uh, had a full-time job, got laid off in the recession, and took up consulting. Interesting. Now, the thing that's interesting to me is a lot of times, like, a development job and coding is the end goal. And to see somebody that has the development background go into user experience is not something you usually see. Do you find that your background originally in development has helped you in any way with this new field? Tremendously, actually. You know, at first I, I saw it as an impediment um, because most of the people like you are um, saying, they come from a creative um, visual design, art, you know, fine arts, some sort of creative quote-unquote background. And I didn't have that background. And so when I first started as an information architect, I worked, had to work very closely with graphic designers and, and front-end developers, those that were skilled in HTML and JavaScript and CSS. And I was really intimidated. But what I found was that having the background as a programmer, what was the most important that was that to me, it was the same job just with a different audience because it was this logical, efficient thinking, thinking of all these different use cases and all these problems that could happen. I used to do that with code and now I'm just doing that with users. Mm -hmm. So it's been invaluable. Yeah. I've had that exact same experience, but just myself like learning how to code because you always hear advice that people give and the advice that they say is everybody should learn how to code. (laughs) A a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to code. Why should I learn how to code? But the thing that I learned when I picked up and got into Objective-C and Java a little bit was learning how to code and that ability teaches you how to think. And it teaches you a completely different way of approaching problems and approaching tasks. And I actually read this really interesting article that said that people who know more than one language, just like uh, English, French, Spanish, that kind of language, uh, 
are more analytical because when they're thinking about a problem, they think about it in Spanish and in English or whatever language they do, and they're more analytical. And knowing programming was the exact same way for me. Yeah, it's such, such, I almost want to carry you around with me and have you say that because you said it so very well. And you just (laughs) made me think like (laughs) that also it's like, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about probably my whole career, but that analytical thinking and that uh, when you're talking about the different languages being similar to coding and that line of thinking, you're really thinking about how do I communicate this in this medium? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what user experience design or whatever, even technology is, because it's like, how do I create and how do I explain, even whether with its visuals or code or whatever, this idea in this application medium or in this you know, website medium or whatever. So it's a really good um, connection that you've made. Ah, interesting. Cool. So I wanted to talk to you. You said that when you first got into it, it was called information architecture, and then that kind of blossomed into user experience. What are those two terms? Like, how do you define them? Are they different, like uh, information architecture and user experience? Did they grow into one into the other? How, how do you see things? Um, I see them as, and I've been in this field for almost 10 years. So if you don't see the immediate difference, I don't want anybody to feel defeated. But um, I see a huge difference between the two. Uh, to me, uh, and this is a t- uh, something I'll be speaking on at Future Insights Conference in Las Vegas uh, later this summer. Um, to me, the user experience design stuff, like that to me is the outcome. Like we want to have a good user experience. That that role of user experience designer, I don't know if that makes sense as much anymore, but why it did make sense is because information architecture didn't make sense, um, for an, for example. So information architecture is and still was, and I gave this, uh, I'm in a bowling league. This is totally off topic, but I'm in a bowling league. Mm-hmm. And I was, somebody, uh, one of my friends was like, what do you do? And I said, I'm an information architect. And she goes, what is that? And so to explain the difference between information architecture and UX, I was like, well, information architect, I, you know how you would hire an architect to build a house or a building so that it worked and it was aesthetically pleasing and it fit all these different uh, functions? That's what I do with information for websites and businesses even. Um, And we create these structures for users to move through so that their outcome can be a great user experience. Hmm. So that's always how information architecture to me was using information and data and just even concepts, building this idea that people can somehow move through in a website or an app to attain a good user experience. And then information architecture plays along with like interaction design, which is much more, are we going to use, what gestures are we going to use and what um, concepts are we going to use from an interaction standpoint to uphold the structure that the information architects came up with in order for the user to move through these things to get a good user experience. Yeah, that that parallel that you drew to actual architecture, I think, is really on point. Because if you are building a, a large museum, the reason that you're building a museum is so that people will come to it. It can display art. It can be unique, uh, like a beautiful piece of art in and of itself. But then 
like does having that entire thing that's the kind of the user experience then you actually have to get into the nitty-gritty of okay what is the architecture and the laying out of the data and the information on a website for information architecture is exactly that because you have the user experience and what does the user want to do what is the end goal why is the user going to a specific website to learn to get information to have fun and then you actually have to put that together into a usable format Exactly. And, and what was happening over time was that many people thought that information architecture was really just this idea of a website's navigation making sense. And um, maybe people have heard the terms metadata and things like that. And that that's one level of it. But if you think about an architect, they're not just thinking about the dimensions of the rooms, they're thinking about which rooms need to exist and Mm -hmm. what does this building need to be made out of and those sorts of things. And so information architecture is that, building those structures, both big and small with the website um, concepts, but those really, really hard to explain to people. Mm -hmm. And so user experience design sounds like, wow, that's awesome. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, that's exactly how it is. So you had mentioned that you lost your job, and that's when you got into consulting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that experience and how you kind of kicked off your consulting uh, career? Yeah, that was even more of like the windy path through Candyland. Um, so it was interesting because I had just um, I moved to New York, and you know the recession hit, and it was I was working at a company where it was basically I was the last one in, first one out kind of thing. Um, just you know whatever reason, and. Um, I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? Now, I don't think I mentioned I, my degree wasn't really, I graduated from the University of Connecticut, um, who just won both national championships. Woohoo. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, while I was there, I didn't get a computer science degree. I actually graduated from the School of Business with an information systems degree. So I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I, I just never had really any good product ideas. <laughs> mm-hmm. So <laughs> I just didn't know how I was going to do that. So that's just a little caveat. And so I got laid off and then, um, this is, uh, I got one of the things the company gave us was this like uh, resume building class or like, you know, restart your career class. And I wasn't going to go. And then I realized I didn't have anything else to do because I didn't have a job. So I went and while I was there, I started figuring out how to, that networking was really the way to find jobs and that sort of thing. And, and I started to kind of meld that all together with my own business sense and my talents as a, as an IA, as an information architect. And I got a phone call from an agency and they were like, um, Hey, do you want to move to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and do information architecture for us? And I said, I don't want to move there. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, you want to do this from home? And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how it started. And so I tell you the story about the networking in that class and the business background. The freelancing part for an agency started and I was like, wow, why would I ever work for somebody again? I've always wanted to own my own business. And so I just went out and started having lunches with people that were consultants. And I started to ask them about how to become a consultant, how to get clients and that sort of thing. And then my business just kind of blossomed from there. Um, and that was in 2009. Awesome. You've been keeping it up since. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. If somebody else wants to kind of get into consulting, uh, what would you tell them to do? Like, uh, mm-hmm. h- how would they do that? I think that having a very, um, I was fortunate. The company I worked for in San Antonio and even in New York, I got a very, very good base skill at information architecture. And I knew that thing. Um, and I knew that thing both, um, 
well, while working inside a big company, while working inside a medium company, while working for agencies, like I got the whole concept of my craft. Um, I didn't, I wasn't perfect at it, but I got, I knew the concepts of it. So I think having that base is a good way to start because that will allow you to be like, okay, this is what value I can add for people. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think it's really comes down to, (laughs) um, my old friend and I have this term, um, HGH, like hustle, grind, hustle. And that's really what it comes, it comes down to building up your network Mm -hmm. of people, because those are the people that are going to either need your help, know someone that needs your help introduce you to someone who will know somebody who needs some help. Uh, and so my friends make my friends, UX and non UX people, they make fun of me because I have this spreadsheet of people and I reach out to them every week. I go to the spreadsheet and I'm like, okay, who do I have to reach out to this week? And, and so I've been keeping that up for five years and it's been phenomenal. I just had somebody reach out to me yesterday. Hey Liz, I have a project for you for June. Do you want to do it? And it's not going to happen like that in the beginning, but I think exploring uh, your building your network and then re- having a pretty good handle on your craft mm-hmm. is what um, will get you to be a successful consultant over time. Yeah, and I think that the concept of networking for a lot of people is kind of scary, especially for people that are more introverts. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, then I could never network. But y- you should be thinking about networking in a different way. The best way to network is to find people just like talk to people and see how other people you know can help them and just introduce people. If you start off and you really don't have much to add, or you're not really sure what to do, the best thing you can do is introduce one person that you meet to another person that you meet that you think would be a, a good relationship. And just doing that enough will just get you enmeshed in this whole networking community. Such a good point. And another thing I think that kind of goes along with that is like when I first started sending out these introduction emails, like I would, for lack of a better word, like troll LinkedIn for people who were doing the things that I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I would just reach out to them and I would say, Hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time? I just want to ask you some questions about just like you did here. How did you get to where you are? And that's how I started building that network. It wasn't really like networking, like trying to show off and trying to be somebody that I wasn't. It was really just a conversation, like almost going to the library and doing research. But to to go back to your points, like one thing I would always say afterwards, like if you ever need help with anything that you think I can help with, just please reach out mm-hmm. or let me know now and I'll help you with it. Like, I think you can, ex- you can soften it in that way too. So it's not so scary. It's just, I'm here. I want to help you but either by introducing to more people, like you're saying, or maybe there's something else I can help you with. And, and that kind of also helps soften the blow of networking. Yeah, definitely. So what sort of clients approach you? What problems do they have? Or when you're looking for new clients, what do, what do you look for? It's funny. I'm, and this might be, you know, kind of weird, but I don't look for new clients. Isn't that weird? Like I really stop and think about it and I'm like, and people will ask me, Oh, how do you pitch a client? And I don't do any of that. Like I don't have to do any of that. Um, it's all word of mouth for me, which is a blessing. Mm-hmm. And, and it also is a testament to the whole, like helping people and that sort of thing. Um, but the types of clients that approach me, uh, are, across the board. It's so, I almost want to write a book about it, like a short story, a book of short stories about my interactions with people. I would be so interested in that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, um, right now, for instance, I'm working with, um, a technology team that I worked with before came to me and a pretty 
fairly well-known actor came to them with a startup idea and were helping him to build a minimum viable product for his idea. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I'm doing the, you know, user experience and product strategy for that. Um, I had a friend that I worked with when I was freelancing for an agency a couple years ago, and he's at a new agency and they need help figuring out their digital website process. I'm like, okay, I'll help you with that. Um, but it was funny because yesterday I was talking to um, somebody who I mentored, actually used to be my intern, and I was telling him more and more I have been getting requests, direct requests for information architecture. And it's odd because I'm like, I didn't know people, non-UX IA people knew this term. Yeah. It's surprising. <laughs> it's been really weird. I was, I'm like, you do? And you get kind of skeptical because you're like, what do you think this term means? Um, and it's been a lot of strategy type stuff. So, so that's uh, been bubbling up more and more too. But it could range anywhere from a small startup to a large company. I worked with uh, on a project for News Corp last year, for instance. Um, Which is a much bigger product than, uh, project than a startup. Right, right. And then, um, or, and it could be any work from like, hey, we would like help with some interface um, information design stuff to, hey, we need a strategy for building our UX team in house. Mm. It's across the board at this point. So if uh, a startup or a company like on a smaller size comes to you and they, they want your help and you agree to go with them, what are your first steps? Like, what happens next once you're working on a project? Um, I'm like, should I say this, what I'm thinking right now? Uh, they pay me because mm-hmm. if they're a startup, yeah. They, um, yeah, definitely you know. no free work. Right. Um, so we usually, I usually always have some sort of kickoff meeting, um, in some way. And in that meeting, I'm usually just saying I'm setting expectations for the project so that we're all on the same page around why I'm here, how I'm going to help. We know the timeline for my assistance. We know um, the team's responsibilities and my responsibilities. So I think that's ultimately always the best first step to take because I, we were kind of talking about communication before one medium to the next. You know, we all may assume like, okay, they read the statement of work um, and, and backing up, I'll create like a one page statement of work. Here are the things that I will help you with. And here's the timeline and here's how much you're, uh, the cost is, and here's when the payments will be invoiced and et cetera. So I'll do that first and then have the kickoff meeting, get everybody on the same page, because even if they read that statement of work, they're not on the same page as you mm-hmm. <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't know the terms, you know. You're, you're, whatever you're consulting you go into, you are the expert of your craft, and they don't know your language yet necessarily. So. Yeah, it's definitely important to sit down and make sure everybody is exactly on the page verbally, in person, as well as on paper. Yeah, exactly. And then and then my next steps are always um, breaking down whatever the deliverables I've laid out. I And this is me being super type A information architecture organization chick, but I'll, you know, always break my work down into parts and I'll say, okay, this is where we're going to start first. And I'll do the same. It's a cycle. I'll do set expectations for part one. And here's what I'm going to deliver. And here's what I'm going to deliver. Here's what I need from you. Here's what you're going to get from me. So, uh, and then I'll go about the project. Now, I know a big part of user experience is the research phase. Do you sort of have that same two, uh, that experience too with uh, information architecture? Uh, with doing user research, do you mean? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. 
Yes and no. It, to- it totally like depends on the project. Um, obviously, the user research feeds into any of the stuff, and 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 especially IA, and, and which will feed into interaction design, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I, with my own career, it's like sometimes I'm doing that research, and sometimes I'll work with somebody who does that research. Mm-hmm. But even if I don't have that formal um, line item, I guess, in my statement of work, I will always be doing some sort of research to understand the user base, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether it's, hey, can I have access to your Google Analytics so I could see click-through trails? I once had a project where I did an entire set of personas based off of a spreadsheet they have had of click-through data. (laughs) Huh, interesting. (laughs) But that's all they had, and that coupled with Google Analytics, and I was like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you do what you got to do. Yeah, it's better than nothing. It's better than not thinking about this perspective at all. So, Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because this is really intriguing. Um, you did a speech a couple of years ago about how being a jock makes a better interaction <laughs> designer. And this got a lot of attention. Can you talk a little bit more about the connection between sports and interaction design that you pulled together? Yeah, that was, first of all, that was so, so fun to do. Um, as I mentioned I was in a bowling league mm-hmm. and so like I just love sports, right? So it's like that was a fun talk to give. But I think the main connections I was trying to make for everybody were these um concepts of being an interaction designer, you have to be a team player. And that means, you know, you're trying to help le- lead your team to creating a great user experience for your users. And in order to do that, you have to, just like when you play sports and you're playing like a position on a team, you have to know, you know, what your role, what your position is supposed to do and what everybody else's position is supposed to do. And so, and then, you know, working together within that to help everybody reach the same goal. Um, So team dynamics was one concept that I was really trying to pull together there. Um, Also, like the idea behind... A lot of times with design of any kind, I feel like, but this could happen in many realms, but this is just my experience. People always want to jump into, um, for, to make it a sports metaphor, playing the game. Like, actually, let's just play the game and, you know, we'll see what happens. And I think what I've learned is taking that time, you know, to do the strategic planning around how we're going to accomplish this. Um, is very important. That's something we do in sports, right? We have a team, we have a game plan. And Mm -hmm. teams that have a game plan usually are more successful than teams that don't. And so, um, you know, that's another way that I tied it together. And I think the third way was through, like, leadership capabilities and and really um, being a leader and not not a follower and not in such a way like you're taking over and you're the only one that can do anything, but... um, being the one to be encouraging to the rest of your team, whether or not you're the boss or not, it doesn't matter. Being the one to help everybody out and, and kind of push everybody along and, and, and do those things really goes a long way in a field like interaction design where nobody really knows what you do. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense because it's, it really is a group activity. So having all of those traits are just super important to being successful. So true. So, so true. So how has the industry changed since you first got involved and got your first information architecture position? <laughs> um, this is something else I was talking about yesterday. So I feel like you maybe uh, have bugged my apartment. <laughs> nice timing then. Wow. <laughs> right? Um, so I think the biggest thing that has changed is that when I first started as an information architect, 
the whole idea of user-centered design, which is really what all of this user experience stuff is based off of. So the whole idea of putting the user at the center of your product process and designing for their needs um, and testing it with them, that whole thing was not appreciated at all by anyone outside of our very, very small group. Uh, And obviously there were some, you know, like, people here and there. I don't want to say just by anybody at all because, but it was, I would go into meetings as an information architect and it, me saying, well, we need to have a great user experience. Nobody cared, (laughs) you know, it was like, that was non-existent. It was like, no, actually what we need to do is get this into the development system because we have six week release cycles and we need to make sure that we get everything QA'd by the testing team. And you're just like, oh my God, this is crazy because you're coming from this world that's user-centered, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And now people outside of this information architecture, user experience design sphere get it. And it's almost like people have bought in like my product or service needs to resonate with users or it's not going to succeed. And it's not across the board, but it's a huge shift from when I first started. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's so weird to think now about somebody not really caring about the user or thinking about how the user wants to use a product. And I feel like the market has kind of forced that because we have so many websites, web services, products that just have an amazing user experience and they're the ones that people buy. And so you have to think about the user now, otherwise you're just going to be left in the dust. Yeah, and it was the, I think one of the things, it was like the advent of Web 2.0 where people, it was no longer about pushing information to people, to users, just solely pushing information to users. But now there was this conversation where users can review your products or users can comment on your website. And those are very low level examples. But once we started getting that like real time response and people interacting and being almost like being a part of your company, um, I think that's when that need started to happen. And and it was like, Hey, we need to have great user experiences because (laughs) people really do care. And they, now they have a voice. Mm -hmm. So we better get our, we step our game up. Yeah, one of the things that I think is so interesting for people that have been working in this field for a long time is, uh, as you said, when it first started, it was more like kind of website layout and that kind of thing. And I think it's evolved so much more, especially one of the things that I pinpoint is the iPad coming out because Mm. the iPad just completely changed the landscape and made people think a lot more about form and factor of of physical design, like actual design as part of the user experience. Uh, I wanted to ask you like what that experience of like tablets coming out, uh, what it was like for you working in the field at the time. You know, I've... I'm a super like skeptic. Okay. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, whatever. It's all information architecture to me, you know? Um, this was like my personal reaction to it because to me it was like, that is a really cool thing, but I didn't get overly excited about it because it's all information to me, which makes me really boring, by the way. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> but I think what, if I think about how the industry reacted, it was almost uh, like chaotic to work in, in um, IA and in UX at that time because the vast majority of people were like, oh, my God, we have this new thing. What do we do with it? And 
for me, it was like, well, it's still a user-centered design approach designing for these things. They're really, they could do really cool things, but I don't know if they should be able to do these really cool things because do users need them to do these really cool things or do they need them to do this thing? Um, so that was one way that I kind of reacted to that and that the industry kind of reacted to that. Mm-hmm. Another way was that... Um, what was really exciting was to see, like, when the iPad came out, like you're saying, all of these things that you, I, and I'm sure people like me, whether they're UX or not, you could see this, like, mobile ability to compute at a high level. And what I mean by that is, like, now when I go into a coffee shop and I'm checking out on an iPad or you go into the um, Apple store and you don't need to go to the cash register, it all just happens, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, those sorts of things were pretty awesome uh, to start to see happen. Um, but then I would say now, like, the third thing that kind of, like, you you were saying was this whole, for, for the industry that I'm in, it was this whole, like, okay, what is our relationship really with industrial design? Because the, you have this form factor, like you're saying, and you have this beautiful device, and we don't really design the device, but we need to know the design of the device to design stuff that goes on the device. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think uh, living through that was, and, and still living through that, I think that's something we still are living through, um, has been really um, challenging, but in a very cool way. Yeah. Understanding why somebody is picking up their iPad versus picking up their laptop laptop is integral to the user experience because you need to be able to design it specifically for that. Yeah. And I got, I was really, um, you just, you know, another thought I had, it's like you saying that when I was a couple of years ago, I worked on a project for, um, ESPN mobile stuff yeah. and it was an iPad stuff. And one of the things I was working with a company called moment design, which they're, um, located in uh, Soho in New York city and awesome, awesome team. And one of the things that one of the principals there kept saying, and he had to keep instituting into our heads because we're so used to working with websites was like, these people are sports fans that are like leaning back on their couch. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're yeah. saying, like they're not picking it up. Like they would pick up their laptop. Like they picking it up for like a, B and C, you know, totally different reasons. So you're, you make a really good point. Yeah. And I, it was funny because when the iPad first came out, everybody was like, well, it's just a blown up phone. And I, I thought the same thing too. when the first one came out, but the real difference is for ESPN and sports, it's the perfect example If somebody is pulling out their phone to open up the ESPN app or any sports app. They're most likely just want to see the scores real quick versus as you said, with the iPad, they're sitting back on their couch or looking up, it's going to be a longer session time. And thus the information needs to be displayed differently. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so is there anything that's coming up that you think is going to have, uh, well, I guess, I wouldn't say like the big impact because it's all about delivering information to uh, the user, but any kind of upcoming technology like wearables, VR that you're, you got your eye on? You know, I think the, I'm, I'm like so boring when it comes to stuff because I'm just like, but I think the whole idea and um, a gentleman named uh, Jason Mazout, he's, he gave a talk at the Interaction 14 conference about this stuff uh, with the whole intersection of industrial design and interaction design. And I think he brought up a really good point. Like, I think the whole idea of, of, and I hate to use jargony terms, but the whole like internet of things, like the fact that all of these devices out there, all of these technologies, the wearables, the smart TVs, the smart fridges, whatever, like that stuff, I kind of have my eye on that industry because it's like how do we connect all of that and you know how do we connect all the information all that 
Um, the one that I hear people talking about all the time is uh, Google Glass, which I'm like, oh, God, I hate Google Glass. It's just so ugly looking. Yeah. Who wears that? But then my friends wear it, and then I feel bad when I say that. Um, but I think it's what's interesting about that and what I'm most interested to see in is what succeeds from that and what fails. Like, how distracting is it and how helpful is it and what parts of that technology, like the wearable stuff, is distracting and which parts are enabling and um, helping to people to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I forget who said it exactly, but they pulled the parallel between the, it might have been uh, on Daring Fireball, John Gruber, or linked to something on there, saying that the Google Glass was similar to the Segway, where like, <laughs> it's, it's great technology, really cool, but nobody really wants to be seen wearing it. Yes. <laughs> I thought, and I thought that that was just really, really on point because they're both, it's very similar between Google Glass and the Segway. I love that. That is such a great comparison. I totally agree with that. So I, I kind of want to change topics just a little bit because before the show, you mentioned to me that last year you had a couple of interns, which is really interesting to me because you're a, uh, uh, Hubert Experience Design is one person, it's you, and then you brought on interns. And I would, I would love to hear about that experience. Yeah, it was so, it was awesome. Um, I had a client, the, what gave me the idea is that I had a client who's a startup and brilliant, brilliant woman. And she worked, you know, she's a startup, so she doesn't have a lot of, of um, cash, but she worked primarily with interns mm-hmm. and she would bring them on and it, and they would get an immense amount of value because these people were either in school or they were trying to get into technology or whatever. And she gave them basically, here's my site. Can you help me build it? So they got this amazing amount of experience in their portfolio, and then she got their help on building her product. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's a really cool idea. Like, There's so many things that I've been doing for so long that I don't want to really do anymore, like interface design, you know, detailed um, information design. I don't, that's not fun for me anymore, but it's important to the whole process. But it would be really valuable for all these people that want to get into user experience design and information architecture to learn these skills. And then I could be doing the stuff that I want to be doing, like um, the strategy stuff, uh, you know, going out and meeting with more clients or going out and doing speaking and writing and blah, 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 blah. And on top of that, I really like uh, teaching and mentoring people. Mm-hmm. So um, I reached out. I put a page, I'm laughing because the, right, the way I think about it, it was just so cobbled together, but it really, it, you know, it's like put a page out on my website and I said, Hey, I'm looking for interns. And I tweeted it and, uh, you know, people recommended me people and I, I did some interviews and I, and I brought some people on. So I had two uh, gentlemen, two completely different backgrounds. One was a, a, you know, had a master's of industrial design from this fancy college in London. I'm like, Oh my God, you're smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one was just, working for nonprofits and wanting to get into UX and et cetera. So um, the whole experience was pretty, pretty awesome and pretty interesting. Were there any specific skill sets that you were looking for when you were hiring these interns? You know, I think it was a general, (laughs) um, it was a, I laughed because I'm like, yeah. And it sounds evil when I say it out loud, but it was a general ability to be molded. Mm-hmm. in a certain way. And I don't mean like I was trying to have mind melding power over them, but like, were they going to be open to learning my way and the way that I know how to do IA and UX because, which was vastly important because 
honestly, the industry is all over the place that I work in. So I really wanted to be able uh, to do that. Also, did they have a passion for learning, really? Or were they just like, hmm, this UX stuff sounds fun. Maybe I should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that actually reminds me a lot of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Mona Patel, who actually introduced me to you. Yeah. And one of the things that she said was that, uh, there are yes people and no people, but she didn't define them in like the traditional, like yes, people always say yes, but it was yes. People have the ability to be like, yes, I can get this done. And then they will find a way to get something done versus like the no people that are like, nope, I can't do that. And they won't ever just like look into it when really anything is possible. You just have to do a little bit of research and everything. And it sounds like that's what you were looking for is people that have the ability to just get stuff done. Yeah, exactly. And they want to, and they yeah. want to learn, and they are interested in this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so wh- what kind of work? You said that it was just the stuff that you didn't, like, that wasn't worth your time to spend on anymore. So, like, drawing out the actual, um, like, wireframe, things like that. Like, is, it, is that the kind of work you gave them? Yeah, it was interesting because it was hard because my projects are so quick. And the re- like a lot of my work has happened so quick because I've, because I'm so, I've been doing this for a while. Like I can take a project and they'll be like, let's redesign our site in a month. And I'll be like, okay, like I've done this a million times. I can do that. Uh-huh. But you can't really give that to somebody who's learning how to do it. You know? So it was, um, so that part was a little bit interesting. So, and they, and they both had two completely different skill sets. Um, so the one thing that they both did was I wanted them to uh, write for my blog. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because I think writing and communicating in that way, how, how we we're talking about analytical thinking um, and that sort of thing, writing is one of those things. So that helped to them to really think about what they were doing and what they were learning. Um, and they also got a reading list of books and blogs to start to read and stuff like that. Um, and then the types of activities that I gave them first were arranging, like with the with the guy who was totally new to the field that came from the nonprofits, it was like, okay, I first need to even get your mind thinking this way. So then it wasn't, it was more just like pick a site to redesign and let's start from the beginning. And I'd step him through the process. And then eventually it was like, okay, um, let's work on this wireframe or let's work on this site for map for a client or something for the guy who already knew design. It was like, I got I really have to break you out of this design only thinking. <laughs> you need to learn IA um for you to, you know, really become successful. So for him it was the heavy duty IA flows, user flows and of course wireframes and stuff like that. But um th- those were the two the two spectrums and then they all they worked on projects of all kinds in between and deliverables of all kinds in between. Now, to kind of pull this all together, what advice would you have for somebody who is interested in a career within the user experience umbrella? Um, <laughs> this is also something I talked about yesterday. Oh, <laughs> God. Um, I would suggest that you start to create a really thick skin for yourself because you can learn the technical skills of how to do this, um, how to do the work. I would suggest learning about information architecture and really understanding it outside of just taxonomies and that sort of stuff because that level of logical thinking and analytical thinking is super important. But ultimately, no matter all the research you do into your field and no matter how much you learn, a lot, everyone uses websites and applications and you know phones and tablets. Everybody uses these things, so everybody 
thinks they know how to use these things. Um, and what you're going to find in the, as you come into this field of user experience is there's it's still super new, so you're going to have all these opinions flying at you, um, and you're going to need to back up your causes with data and findings and facts and research, and not just your opinions. And then you're going to need to develop this thick skin to like not get overwhelmed by everybody trying to make it cool or trying to make it the next iPad or trying to make it the next awesome gesture, Google Glass, whatever thing. You know, it's like you almost have to just be in your, like, um, meditate is my advice. I'm just kidding. Um, but that sort of thing. It's like it, being prepared for that, I think, is one of the best ways to get into the field and not be driven crazy by it. <laughs> awesome. I, yeah, I think that's really, really good advice because I, I think you have to remember that people out there that like, like if you like a product or you like a website, think about how many other people on the website are just constantly like criticizing it or saying this is horrible, this is bad. Like go to your favorite website and look into the comments and like a large number of the comments are going to be negative and you're always going to have that even if you're building the coolest thing ever. So having that thick skin and being able to back things up with information, everything that is so important. So important. Yeah, Definitely. Awesome. Well, Liz, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been really interesting. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, They can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is my name, Liz Hubert, L-I-S-H-U-B-E-R-T. And they can find me at my website, Elizabeth, with an S, Hubert.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. now we have reached the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed recording this week's. And if you did enjoy it, let me know. And the best way to do that is to go on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. I love jumping on there and reading those. It's, it makes my day. And it also helps other people find the podcast that you hopefully have enjoyed. And yeah, that's about it. Until next week, have a good one. Mm-hmm.